0: Welcome to the Human Inclusive Podcast, where we curate stories that amplify diverse populations.
1: I'm Leah. I use
0: she, her. And I'm Christopher, he, him. Welcome, everyone, to Human Inclusive. It's been a little while since you've heard from us, and we've definitely been hard at work creating more episodes, really learning lessons that we can be able to to share with you in the coming months. I have moved from Chicago now I live in Seattle that's also been one of the reasons why you haven't heard from us uh, in a couple of months and Leah you've had some exciting things that that you've been up to recently tell tell us what's going on
1: I have well uh, human inclusive has been on the road and we've had speaking engagements and panels and uh, all the things but Most importantly, the coolest was that we got to see each other in Denver. Yay! yay. (laughs) Yeah!
0: We were in Denver together. We were supposed to be in Denver for a few days, and it really turned into a whirlwind of an overnight trip. And uh, why were we in Denver?
1: Well, we had two reasons why we were in Denver. First was we were recording a really incredible podcast interview with Lauren Burgess and Cody Hemmins. Hemman. Um And we were talking about the awesome work that they've both been doing to make sure that they're creating inclusive spaces for people with neurodiversities in the workplace, which I know that we are both so excited to release that. We are. Um, and,
0: and we're not going to talk anymore about it okay, because fine, <laughs> fine. We, we want... Everyone to kind of be on pins and needles waiting for it. Um, so, yeah, can that we, was very exciting. And
1: Can th- we at least say that it, it's, like, even cooler than anything we've ever done before because there's video?
0: True. Yes.
1: You can, we can say that. <laughs> okay, it's no exciting.
0: More. So be on the lookout for some video from Human Inclusive. You get to see us on screen. Probably not a big one, but still on screen, nonetheless. <laughs> Some phones are big. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, sweet. And and then what else? What what happened after that, Leah?
1: Well, the other thing was um, Human Inclusive was there to moderate a panel. Um, unfortunately, Christopher had to go back to Seattle, um, and I, I moderated it by myself, but... Um, it was really incredible, and the three people that I got to talk with for that panel were just so inspiring, and I learned a ton from them, and I, I wish you could have been there too, but I'm glad that you'll get to hear it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we I got to, I was on the prep call and we all got to meet each other. So I'm sure that there will be other opportunities for, for us to get together. But the conference we were at was Mile High Agile. Mile High Agile is mostly an agile conver- uh, conference for agile professionals, project managers, product, et cetera, et cetera. Really anyone in the tech space is an outside, is, is invited to Mile Absolutely. High.
1: And there were people in the audience that were not specifically Um, agile coaches or project managers there were other people there too Uh, and that's the beauty of the conversation that we had and I think you know why you and I planned it was for anyone to approach this conversation and see how they incorporate it in their their team or organization
0: right and so who were the who were the three women that joined us or that joined you
1: well they joined us yeah Um, Lauren Burgess Lauren is the CEO and founder of Garden Inc. and uh, Dirt Coffee. Um, Mo Abdullah, who is a CEO and founder of Culture Energizer. Culture energized, Culture energized, um, yeah. And then we had Natalie Bonafetti, who is the director of diversity and inclusion at Pivotal Software, a company that combines platform tools and methodology to help transform how businesses build software. Why
0: was it? Why was it important that we had the the group that we did?
1: One sp- specific thing is that all three of them are local to the Denver metro area. Um, another reason is that. Each of them are focused on focusing on different aspects of inclusion and diversity. So they have different backgrounds and experiences with that. Mo is an outside consultant that's going into teams and companies, um, comes from an educational background and working with youth and um, diversifying educational programs, but now is focusing on corporate and um, larger companies. Uh, Natalie is working internally for a... Um, tech consulting company that does agile consulting. And Lauren is working with her own individuals internally at Dirt, company, at Dirt Coffee, but then also helping companies in the area set up apprenticeship programs and hiring people with neurodiversities. So they're also focusing on different types of diversity as well, which is really cool to have a conversation around.
0: Awesome. That's, that's incredible. And one of the cool things is, is we, you all are about to listen to the conversation that we had uh, at Mile High So this was also a new thing for Human Inclusive. It was kind of our first live recording. So we're excited to, to share that with you. Um, so tell us a little bit more about like a little preview uh, of what we're going to to hear.
1: Well, it kicks off with a really cool energizer that Mo does, and that was really fun. I didn't know exactly what she was going to do when she started it, but it got us all chatting with each other and talking to each other a little differently. And then the rest of the conversation is really that it's a conversation. It's a little bit of Q&A, but a lot lot of um, back and forth between the four of us talking about what people could be thinking about um, or looking for within within their organizations to better understand maybe where the gaps are or what they as individuals could be doing themselves even if they're not decision makers or people who could make leadership changes they could do little things within themselves to make more impact um and yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a big part of the conversation is just thinking about what are things that people can start doing today within their organization to see the change that they want to see.
0: Well, thank you, Leah, for teeing up the conversation for us. For listening purposes, we're going to move right to the discussion that you all had. You'll be able to access a full recording if you'd like to hear the Energizer on our website. But for now, imagine a full conference room Everyone is warm, they've shared their names, and they're going to begin heading back to their seats.
2: Love it. We're going to give you a clap and a woohoo. <laughs> clap, woo Excellent. Give two high fives and make it back to your seat in ten seconds. Go! Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, and one. Thank you all for participating. In our icebreaker, you all did a fantastic job.
1: All right, Um, thank you Mo for that, really appreciate it. I'm Leah James and my co-host and partner, Christopher Guest is not with us today. Unfortunately, he had to head back to Seattle early, Um, but we're really excited because we are recording this for our podcast. So we will end up putting this out live for other people to listen to as well, because we think this is such an important discussion. we Christopher and I both came together because um, we were going to all of these conferences and talks and panels and we kept hearing people talking about diversity and inclusion in theory and like what it looks like in theory and um, that it was a challenge and there was a problem, but there was never really any follow-up or action or steps of how to make change happen and how to see that progress happen. So we started this podcast for that reason um, and Since then we've done several panels where we've brought in people who are local to the area to talk about things that they have done. Um, So today being in Denver, we have three incredible people here that are local to Denver um, that have done some amazing things with companies um, to make changes happen and we wanna hear actually what went into that. So uh, with that, I'm gonna let them introduce themselves and we're gonna kick off this conversation because that's what it is. It's not going to be your traditional Q&A panel Um, we are going to have a discussion and really talk about it so as we go if you have questions please join us and raise your hand and i'll bring you the mic so it's also captured in the recording as well but with that go ahead and introduce yourselves
3: hi everybody my name is lauren burgess and i am founder and ceo of a couple of organizations all are based on the idea that individuals with disabilities deserve better and they deserve to be included in our communities and our workforce so Garden provides community-based services for children, adolescents, and adults with autism and neurodiversities. And then Dirt Coffee is a local coffee shop that employs, empowers, and educates individuals with neurodiversities and then partners with businesses on how um, they can start employing and impacting individuals with neurodiversities in their workplace. Hi, I'm
4: Natalie Bonafetti I lead diversity and inclusion at Pivotal. Uh, Pivotal is a software company
2: that helps transform the way the world builds software through agile and lean methodologies. Awesome. Uh, my name is Mo Abdullah. I'm the founder of Culture Energized. Uh, we are an interactive diversity and inclusion training business and uh, consulting. Um, our main goal um, or idea around what we do is that in order to energize any business or organization, you must energize those that believe in your mission first. And so a lot of our training is based on how to create inclusive cultures, um, looking at systems and practices, and making sure that companies are um, practicing what they preach.
1: And I think with that, like we all got into this work for different reasons. And I think you know from hearing all of our intros, it might be a little bit obvious that we have different backgrounds and different experiences and different focuses when it comes to talking about inclusion um, and inclusion before diversity. Um, What I'll say for starters is I talked a little bit about how Christopher and I got into specifically doing these panels and doing these talks but um, my background I was working with people from um, all different backgrounds who wanted to get into tech. And what we would find was the companies would hire and then they would lose them to other companies. And that happened a lot because they wanted to diversify but they didn't have the cultures to actually create inclusive environments. Um, so I ended up working a lot with companies on how and why they hire. And that has driven a lot of the work that I've done and why I've been able to meet these incredible people along the way because they're doing similar things internally and I won't speak for you all, but like I would love to hear more about like why, why this, like what <coughs> motivates you? Because this work is hard. And I think we've all talked about that in our calls before this. Um, why do you do it and why do you keep doing it?
2: Hello. Yeah. Um, so for me, diversity and inclusion hasn't always been a passion of mine. Um, it hasn't even been something that I thought I needed to be educated on. You know? Like growing up, I assumed that I just was the face of diversity. I'm black, I'm a female, I'm African, I have a learning disability. I was like, people should be learning about me. Like, (laughs) what do I need to be learning about diversity and inclusion? And, and, you know, with my school, I went to boarding school. I was kind of in this whole bubble, and, you know, college is its own bubble. Um, But it wasn't until I moved to DC, and I was working with a nonprofit. And um, with this nonprofit, my role was to help uh, schools create inclusive um, environments. And we would use recess as a focal point, so helping to create um, you know, inclusive recess systems, conflict resolution, all that kind of stuff um, for these schools. And so I would travel around all the different schools and help you know, them through this process. But there was one school that I was in, and this was the first time I was in a school that had, the entire school had um, some form of disability. So there were students that were in wheelchairs, there were students that were on the autistic spectrum, there were students that were nonverbal. And I hadn't grown up with anyone in my entire, like anyone um, that had a disability of any kind. So this was kind of my first um, situation where I was in this environment and I was in a power role. I was tasked with creating an inclusive recess with all of these kids that had different needs and it was really eye-opening because I found myself um, removing myself from a lot of the situations, a lot of the interactions, um, just because I was afraid to make a mistake. I was afraid to say the wrong thing. I was afraid that they wouldn't like the games. I was afraid of umpting amount of things. Um, and so that whole situation sort of put, I don't know, it was really eye-opening for me to understand that even with the best intentions, we can still make mistakes. And as adults, sometimes we have this, we feel this pressure to have to know all the answers of how to deal with all types of diversity. And then what do you do when you're in these situations when you just don't know? Is it okay to make a mistake? Um, And so, you know, I had to get humbled. I had to ask for help. I had to uh, be vulnerable and, you know, It was definitely a a harder process, but at the end of the day, one of the the best advice that I was told by one of the teachers is that, like, these are kids. At the end of the day, they want to smile, they want to laugh, they want to have fun. And so you may not have all the answers, but how can you start with that? Um, And so that sort of changed my point of view of, like, humanizing Um, diversity and inclusion, and what does that mean? Starting at the human level, what do we all want to feel when we go to work? We want to feel happy, we want to feel included. Um, And so we may not know everything, but starting from that place, because sometimes that barrier of fear stops us from making those interpersonal connections. And so um, after going through that experience, it's really just opened my eyes that there's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of work that I needed to do, um, I'm not exempt from educating myself, and so a lot of the, the trainings that I do um, are for you all in teaching people in, um, about diversity in a way that comes from empathy, of understanding how it feels, um, but also educating myself through conversation and learning from other people's experiences.
1: I wanted to say that like, I think that piece of um, talking about they're just kids and at the end of the day they're just kids I think that is really relevant for teams as well we're just people and we want to exist and we want to feel like we belong and we want to feel like we're heard on a team and that's I think the biggest challenge is how do you create a space where people can be heard and and challenged and um, I know both of you two also have experiences with that but I want to turn for a second to Lauren because um, Lauren and I worked together yesterday on a podcast where we were talking about um, the work that she's doing with helping people with uh, neurodiversities all coexist. Um, and she can talk a little bit more about that, but I think it speaks a little bit to Mo's point about how do you create a space where people can all be, uh, and be and be appreciated and be welcomed. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about Lauren, like the work that you're you're doing and how maybe that's relevant for some of the teamwork that some of these folks might be thinking about in creating their inclusive spaces?
3: Sure. So people with disabilities exist in our world, right? And neurodiversities, whether they're visible or not. Um, And um, 15% of the world's population experiences a disability. And they're the third largest um, market segment in the US. So if we are not interacting and creating a space in our teams for individuals with disabilities and neurodiversities, then we're missing the mark big time. Um, And how to create that space is first looking at your team, looking at yourself and asking, is your team comprised of people who think differently, who look differently, who um, may have bodies that operate differently than ours? And if not, um, see how you can make that happen. Um, I've had to, the world that I live in is um, creating opportunities for individuals with autism and other neurodiversities to learn what it means to have a job out in their community. Um, Less than five years ago, most individuals with autism and disabilities were working in sheltered workshops. So they were making under minimum wage and um, creating goods and services for the general population, but had no interaction with the general population. Um, My friend Robbie and I partnered together. He is a young man with autism. He graduated from his college program, was ready to go out into the world and get a job. And I said, cool, I'll teach you to do exactly what I did. Fill out resumes, make some connections and go apply and interview. We did that numerous times for many, many years and robbie was never offered a job that made sense for him Um, so i figured if the world wasn't doing that then we would do it Um, i loved coffee at the time coffee is the second trade uh, most traded commodity in the world so everybody loves coffee and has a relationship with coffee Um, so we are um, employing individuals with disabilities at our coffee shop and teaching them how to interact and build the skills that they need in order to be a part of their world. But on the same side, we are teaching our customers and our consumers that um, maybe the person you're interacting with isn't gonna be super speedy or communicate in the exact same way that you are, that you have experienced at your local um, Starbucks, but that that's okay. And to give them time and space to have that interaction in the way that makes sense for them and not necessarily that makes sense for you being a neurotypical individual.
1: I think that rolls into um, culture fit versus culture ad which is a conversation that we had prior to this actually um, and I'm gonna turn that over to Natalie. I'd love to like hear from you a little bit on that because um, all of these pieces go into why inclusion is so hard and why like you know in our hiring processes with what she was talking about where she created this work environment where she was going to hire people with neurodiversities if no one else was so that they could learn those job skills and customers in turn could learn um, about the patients that they need to have and learn how to engage with these folks and that it's it's not, um, not something that you can't include in your companies um, but that it's something that's an add-on to your teams and it actually creates an opportunity for you to Fill in the gaps and where your strengths are not. And so Natalie, talk to us a little bit about culture fit versus culture add and how Pivotal has um, made some changes with yourselves but also other companies.
4: Yeah, sure. So culture fit is a very squishy thing that can get us in trouble a lot of the time. Um, It's a very human thing that everybody does, right, specifically with hiring but also like who do you decide to mentor? Who do you decide to tap on the shoulder? Um, it's very normal to like want to be attracted to people who look like you, have you know similar experiences to you. but we all know at this point, right? there's blind spots, right? And that can be really difficult. Um, what I have seen in many companies and pivotal included is the hardest part is not recognizing, okay, culture ad is valuable. I think we're at the point where most people can understand that from both a like moral standpoint and also a business standpoint, and
1: theoretical standpoint.
4: Correct. (laughs) Um, The hard part is realizing, okay, you can open your doors to different people and invite them in, but that's not where it stops. You actually have to change your culture as well and allow space for, for difference. And that is really, really hard, right? Because that means you have to confront your own culture and look internally and say, what we've got going on right now might be working for the people who are currently here, not for the people that we want to be coming into the door. And that, for me, is where the real hard work has to come in.
1: Yeah, that's incredibly hard. So talk to us about like what does that look like in practice? Because like we've all talked about this in theory, and we've all talked about like that we need to do this thing, but what does that look like in real life? Like what did Pivotal do to get to that point, or what did what is Culture Energize done, or what is Dirt Coffee done in order to get to a place where you're actually doing the thing, and that people can then learn from to walk away and maybe do the thing too?
4: Yeah. So I'll I'll just first say that. We're we're not even close to like having fully done the thing. Um, it's a very long and tedious process, and I will say that um, some of the things that we've done are really formalized and really process oriented because we're just trying to cut through that implicit bias and those sort of like muscles that have been you know grooved into the company's culture for so many years. And so, for instance, one of the things that we're doing. Um, on the employee development and promotion standpoint is we've launched an executive sponsorship pilot. And so we've got 10 executives in each cohort. They're paired with um, high potential talent for folks who identify as underrepresented, right? And we put them in a sponsorship relationship specifically for the purpose of developing a more diverse leadership team, right? And without that, who knows what's gonna happen, right? So like ideally the future state is that just happens but we're really far away from that happening. And so right now, quite honestly, we're forcing the issue, right? We're just putting in some really formal processes to start building those muscles and building those habits and frankly, just talking about them very explicitly as a company.
1: Yeah, because I mean, inclusion isn't our default. And I think that's what a lot of people think is that we are just inclusive people, but our default is actually exclusion.
4: Yeah, and I wanna um, just say something on that front, which I think I heard a sentiment um, a little bit earlier when we were doing the icebreaker around, okay, well, what do we actually do? We talk a big game about this, and the approach that we take at Pivotal is a is very much a skills-based approach, right? We don't wake up knowing how to be inclusive managers, inclusive leaders, inclusive individual contributors. Like, if the human brain is left alone, we will default to all of the exclusion. And that's, that's okay, but we do need to counteract that with some very specific skill sets and, and processes.
2: Yeah, it has
1: to be intentional. Yeah, go for it, Mel.
2: Yeah, so. In thinking about like different practices and and, um, systems, I think you mentioned implicit bias and there's also like unconscious bias and what is the difference? Raise your hand if you've heard of unconscious bias before. Cool, raise your hand if you've heard of implicit bias. Does anyone wanna take a stab at what that actually means? What's the difference between unconscious and implicit? So I think unconscious bias is uh, an example would be where I'm talking to someone and I'm, I'm thinking in the interview, well, they, they don't really fit our culture and really I'm going off of some cue, you know, uh, their gender, skin color, for, as some obvious examples, um, unconsciously. I'm guessing that implicit bias is when there is a system that is set up such that it's, impo- it's impossible. So uh, the example of um, why are there no women firefighters? Well, because you have to be tall to be a firefighter. Well, why do you have to be tall? Because the equipment is made for tall people. So mm-hmm. it's built into the system where you can be the best, most thoughtful actor in the world, but the system is already going that way. I don't know if that's... Yeah. Um, so how I define unconscious, or the difference between unconscious bias and implicit bias is unconscious bias is kind of like when you're in autopilot, right? You are about to do a phone interview, you see the name Ashley, you pick up the phone and you automatically assume that that person's white, right? Because it's an automatic response. Or if I say, we're getting on an airplane today, cool, the pilot just came out, you're probably thinking that pilot is a white male and not assuming that the pilot doesn't look like me. So it's kind of like the automatic response to things, right? And that comes from, Backgrounds that comes from media, that comes from culture, that comes from a lot of representation of the same things. How our brain works to get you to an answer about what things are categorized. Implicit bias to me is when you have a little bit more thought process assumptions, um, and so for example, when I see um, uh, a person. Um, that's in a wheelchair or a person that has a disability. I might start assuming that they need help, right? And I might go We're ahead talking and act differently.
1: On it. Yeah. Slowing down your speech.
2: Yeah, slowing down my speech or something like that, right? I am assuming there's a thought process. Oh, this person might need this because they look like this, type of thing. Um, and so, when coming up with different systems, it's really important to understand um, the implicit biases that exist in our job descriptions, um, in our hiring practices, like even certain words are triggers, right? Like people add in, for example, um, college degree, right? And some of that, that's an assumption that if you have a college degree that you have ev- all the information that you need to do this job, which we all know when we left college, like I was just not prepared. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That's not prepared. the competency. Yeah, right, and so people, people like, put that into a job description, why?
1: Well, and I think if we look at this in practice, um, a really great example um, is with Lauren and the partnerships that you've had with uh, other companies and how they've had to change their hiring processes to think about um, including people with neurodiversities. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, What was that shift like? Um, What did they do differently to make the hiring process actually welcome in people that didn't look like them, sound like them, or have the same experiences as them?
3: Sure, so a recent partnership that we've established is with DSW, so the shoe store. um, And they have had to go at hiring and recruiting a completely different way, but not in a way that's hard or impossible, it's just different. So um, instead, they've partnered with DIRT to recruit a group of individuals who have neurodiversities who would make sense for the jobs that they need filled in their organization. So expecting somebody with a neurodiversity to follow the traditional filling out an application online and going through the interview process, I mean, Mo. Talked about how that's that's nearly impossible for a lot of, of the individuals I work with. So what we did is I partnered with the manager of DSW. We toured their store and I got educated on all of the different jobs and positions that are available that they would need filled. Um, and then Because of the work I do, I have a whole subset of individuals who would make a lot of sense for those roles. We got together, and um, Cody, the manager, said, hey, this is the role. Is this something you can do? Um, This is why I love working with individuals with autism. They're super-duper honest, and they'll say, heck no, I'm not interested in that, or yeah, I think this is something I can do. So um, it was very informal in that sense. And then the first two weeks were a learning and a trial period where the individual with the neurodiversity partnered with somebody who knew the job and showed that new hire exactly how to do the job and then gave that opportunity to their um, newest hire, the employee, the individual with the disability with the neurodiversity what has had to change within their culture is how they are managing leading and communicating with these individuals because they think differently they talk differently um, and they respond differently so how neurotypicals typically accept and provide feedback you provide a whole lot of fluff around the edges right and then here's what i want to see changed Um, Most of the individuals I work with think that's really annoying and that you're talking to them like a child. So tell me exactly what you want me to change. Tell me exactly what you want to see and I will do it. That's been probably the hardest part that that store has struggled with. And when you think about it, that makes everybody's job a lot easier. Could you imagine just walking into work and saying, hey, I don't like what you're doing, do that differently. And then them accepting it and moving forward, doing it the way that you want to see.
1: Sounds like that would be a lot easier. Yeah, <laughs> I wish everyone would, would respond that way, but they don't. And and I think that's the biggest part about thinking about inclusion is understanding what everyone needs in order to accommodate what um, whatever it is that they're looking for out of a team environment, whether it's um, with a neurodiversity or your race or um, your gender or um, your your sexuality or whatever. There are so many different things that go into our identities, which make us. Uh, different from each other, we all walk into a space with a different lens on, and unfortunately, when we're all operating with the same expectation or thinking that we, oh, we just need to show up this way or we just need to do this team this way, then you're actually telling people um, they're not welcome and they don't belong there and they're not going to be heard. And so when you see and you look around your leadership team and it's all the same type of person or the same background or the same gender, you are missing opportunities to actually create a, a welcoming environment for the people. And yeah, Natalie, I know that like we've talked a little bit about that, like some of the the really big shifts that you have to change in your leadership in order to create more space for people. Yeah. And what you just said about
4: um, the inclusion piece, I think something that I see happen all the time, which is so understandable is people get really overwhelmed when they think about all of the different dimensions of diversity and how that shows up in a workplace, right? Like Absolutely. who do I prioritize? Do I prioritize the women? Do I prioritize the people of color? Do I prioritize the people with you know, neurodiversity? What do I do? Um, and there's no, there's no good answer to that, right? Like That's a fundamentally flawed and difficult question. Um, and so what I typically try to do is have people focus Um, Not necessarily on a single identity, although there are times and places to do that, but focus instead on developing team norms, because if you can do that, then you can at least set the stage for things like psychological safety, having everybody's voice be heard, uh, crowdsourced ideas around, okay, how are we going to operate as a team in meetings, on calls, at off-sites, whatever it may be, right? And leadership doesn't have to sort of throw these rules on from down high, they can be crowdsourced by the team. And so once you have a set of team norms, you have operating principles, right? And so everybody's then on the same page about, you know, we agreed to not do this, or we agreed to, to host meetings like this so that we can make sure that everybody's voice is heard. And so that's just one way that I try to get around the like immensely overwhelming, complicated and complex conversation around, like, which identity should I be focusing on?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you have something to say before I pop into conflict? Because that makes me want to talk yeah. about
2: conflict. Yeah. You be there. Okay, yeah. go for it. Um, and so, I wanted to get back to this thing about culture add and culture fit. Um, just because when you hire diversity, everyone assumes that it's supposed to be like this whole Zen thing, like everyone, different colored hands, just holding, (laughs) you just hold up a globe and (laughs) everyone's just good. But it's like with diversity comes, you know, of course innovation, but in order to get to the innovation, sometimes there's conflict. And so what do you do, right? Like if the culture is not ready for this conflict, you could easily be labeled as a person that is not a team player, Mm -hmm. right? Or you're no longer a culture fit. Um, And so, understanding like, sometimes I think a lot of people just focus on diversity, we just need to get these people into the door, <laughs> right, and then we'll figure it out, but you end up doing more damage. It's kind of like the, the airplane effect, like you can't help somebody else until you help yourself. You have to figure out the mess that you have, how are we, what does feedback look like, right? What are, are we checking in with people? What does that look like? What does communication look like? Um, and how are we creating a space for me to share my opinion? Um, because diversity will disrupt the status quo of things um, and just preparing yourself for that. I
1: just,
4: I just that you were gonna- yeah, just two things. So um, I totally agree with that and I see that happening all the time, which is people are super eager to get diverse talent in the door, but once they're in the door, they want them to be exactly like every other employee. Yeah. Right, and and it's never it's never malicious, right? It's just a, okay, now we got them in the door, like why, why isn't this working? And it's like, well, the structures have been built for so many years for this type of person, and now we have this type of person, so there's gotta be some like reconciliation there. Um, one thing that we focused on a lot of Pivotal um, as it relates to conflict is that Uh, we try to create awareness around the idea of psychological safety. And so Google actually did a study uh, called Project Aristotle that I'd recommend you all check out, that basically showed that the number one thing for team effectiveness and team health and team efficiency was this concept of psychological safety where people feel very comfortable to take interpersonal risks. And the way that actually shows up is conflict, right? And people are usually so afraid of conflict um, but if you actually have conflict on your team and people are comfortable with contact, conflict, that's actually a positive signal in some cases that people feel included, they feel safe, and they feel comfortable sharing their opinions and even opinions that are, of course, diverging from from others on the team. So, um, that's
1: just one way that we've we've tried to address that problem. Trust. trust yeah. So. Trust? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'll say, and I want to hear your thoughts on trust. One of the ways that we did it um, at one of my early companies that I was at. Um, When you said check-ins, I was like, oh, I gotta share this. Um, We would do once a week check-ins where we would go into the boardroom and it was, the door was shut and everyone had three minutes to talk. Three minutes about anything, professionally, personally, whatever, Um, but it was your time to share with your team anything that was going on. Um, And what that did, we didn't know that this is what our leadership was doing, but what it did was it created a lot of trust um, and it allowed for us to have conflict and in that conflict, we were allowed to safely debate with one another or safely disagree with one another and not feel like the person was going to um, be malicious to us in return or they weren't going to accept our ideas. And when we left that room, the deal was you couldn't talk about what was talked about in that room. So if someone missed that check-in, they just missed the the check-in. They didn't know what we talked about. And so you could approach the person and say, hey, you talked about that thing, can we talk about it? And then you have every right to say, no, I actually don't want to talk about it. And that was okay. But one really cool experience that happened, uh, one of my coworkers and I, we were not getting along this one week and everything that we did created a lot of um, a lot of conflict between the two of us. And, and I didn't really understand what was happening. In the check-in, um, he was potty trading his daughter and it was creating a lot of challenges between he and his wife and he wasn't sleeping and it was a whole thing. And so that actually allowed us space to then empathize and we could say, oh, okay, Like, I'll back off, and I now know that your anger's not directed at me. You got other things going on. Um, But it created this environment where now today, we haven't worked together in seven years. All of us still stay in touch with with each other and turn to each other when we're having conflict at our own companies or whatever we're working on, and we're able to then rely back on each other. So we were safely able to diversify a team and welcome in really innovative ideas and poke holes at each other's strategies because it was safe to do it.
2: Um, yeah, trust is something that takes time and people, I think, underestimate the power of rapport and Mm -hmm. how that, because with conflict, people are going to make mistakes, right? And if you have a good, a foundation of respect and trust, how easy it is to learn and continue to move forward. Um, and rapport comes in a lot of different ways. I know when I was hired, um, I was the first and only black person to ever be hired in my nonprofit. Um, and so, it, it was, I felt um, isolated at some times, but one of the things that my job did was, um, when you first started, you had to set up 20 minute interviews with everyone in the entire office. Granted, we had like 13, 14 people, but we would like do laps, and we would just talk about anything or everything. and that happened from all my coworkers all the way up to executives. Um, And it just created a platform where we just talked about things that not necessarily were related to the work environment, but just created that level of trust. Um, And then to add on to that consistency is also really, really big um, as far as like, is this part of your culture? Is this part of who you are? Are you constantly um, allowing me to manage up and and let you know when things are going well, um, or things are not going well. And so yeah. So it's about creating
3: spaces to build those relationships intentionally between your coworkers and your team members that allow for everybody to see each other outside of the four walls that are inside their workplace. Yeah, and I would say
4: management and leadership have a huge role to play in modeling that behavior, right? So if you come into a meeting, you start your one-on-ones by talking about yourself as a full human, not just as the robot person you are in your job, Um, that is a signal, a very strong one, whether you know it or not, to your team that they can also do the same. And I think the thing that I see happen a lot is people who truly genuinely care about these issues are really still afraid to speak to them and specifically speak to them one-on-one. And so, Um, The intention is good, right? The impact tends to be bad because then that person on your team feels like unseen, right? Like this person doesn't care about the issues affecting my community. This person isn't even acknowledging or talking about the things that I live every day and maybe have a hard time with 10, 15, 20 times per day, right? And so just going back to what Mo said, the rapport and the trust is so important. Like if you do make a mistake, which we all do all of the time, if you have that trust and rapport with the person, that's okay, and vice versa, right? But until you have that baseline, it's really difficult to have those personal conversations.
1: Is there um, a resource or some learned lesson that you would guide them to in order to start thinking about how they're leading their teams in, in that way? Like is there a book or is there um, a case study or is there something else that they can look at to like model what you all are talking about from like a trust building, rapport building aspect?
4: Yeah, so on the, um, on the leadership front, Deloitte has a really great uh, paper on, I believe it's called like the six or seven traits of inclusive leadership and it goes through sort of what they are and how they apply to leadership in the workplace. Um, so that's sort of on like the, the big picture scale, 30,000 foot view. Um, Something that I have found to be so simple but so effective on a one-on-one basis for people managers but also leadership and also pairs for people who are pairing together um, is something that we call the personal user manual exercise and it's literally like a set of 15 questions just about you as a human, right? Like, what do you like? What really pisses you off? How do you like to receive feedback? How do you like to receive praise? What are some things in your life that really matter to you? And when you start working with somebody, just literally take 15 minutes and talk through those things. You will be so amazed by what you learn about somebody and how quickly you can build a rapport with somebody by just like getting it all out there on the table. Um, and you know, obviously, it doesn't end there. <laughs> but those are two
3: two things that are simple that I would I would certainly recommend. What are the resources? In my line of work, we use Applied Behavior Analysis, so ABA, and it's a human science. Um, It works really well with individuals with neurodiversities, but it works really well with humans in general. Um, So I would empower you to consult Google, Um, just Google Applied Behavior Analysis, but you'll um, find resources about what positive reinforcement can look like for your team or your employee, um, and lots of other handy tools. Um, It's a huge science. Um, backed by a ton of valid research, but um, you can also get little anecdotes that you would be able to implement immediately in your team dynamics.
2: Yeah. Same thing with the, the personality. Um, what is it called again? The, Myers-Briggs. Yeah, um, so understanding the personalities I think is also a huge thing, because it gives you a, la- a level of awareness of like who you are, but more importantly, like who do you annoy? Um, <laughs> That's great to it's know. So true, it's, <laughs> it's true really good It's true. It's true because ask. sometimes we think our personality is key. like, this is just how things should be done. Right. But it's also like, to somebody else, it's like not their thought process, like right. how to do things. Um, and so just understanding that, and then also there's things called the leadership compass as well. So understanding where you like to take charge, what kind of leader that you are. So that way you can understand how people would like to step up in certain situations whether that's in meetings, whether that is in brainstorming sessions, um, different roles that they would like to go for in the organization as well. And you can find all of those things on Google. I just want to plug one last resource because it's so fantastic. So it's called projectinclude.org.
4: And it's a very comprehensive uh, website of not only a ton of research-backed best practices, but it's also incredibly tactical. And so It's very cool because it's organized based on um, like compliance efforts, hiring efforts, recruiting efforts, promotion, sort of all the way through the employee life cycle. I still consult it all of the
1: time. No shame in that game. So definitely recommend checking it out. And I actually just picked up a book the other day called The um, Inclusion Nudges Guidebook. It's all um, tactical. So each page is a scenario, um, why that scenario is important, and what to do about it to create a more inclusive team or environment or space and then uh, more notes about like how you can actually implement that in your everyday life, not just on your team. So that's another really good guidebook. Uh, What questions do you have? I I think we're almost at time. We have five minutes left. So what questions do you have before we wrap up? Um,
0: So I, I work for the federal government and there are lots of formal processes, procedures, rules, and we are trained in them regularly. However, hiring opportunities are very rare. I've had the opportunity to hire two people in 15 years. What do you do when your opportunities to be inclusive are that rare? How do you, do you just focus on setting the prerequisites of your own culture?
4: What do you do?
3: So I've had the opportunity to tour companies who want to be inclusive but don't know how and don't have the opportunity to do so. Um, So what I do is something that's called job carving. So you look at um, the tasks that your current employees or team members are doing and you focus on their strengths and see what they are doing that does not fit in their strengths um, and see if you can carve that out and make um, a smaller job or another job Um, for somebody who can better fit that. That typically works really well for individuals with neurodiversity, specifically autism. So we take out those tasks that seem to be really redundant that don't um, energize somebody who's neurotypical, but who somebody with autism would totally geek out and do it right, do it faster, and do it more efficiently. Um, So rethinking about what a hiring opportunity might look like could help.
4: Yeah, I would also add to that that you have an amazing opportunity to focus on inclusion and retention and promotion and uh, sort of leveling the playing field with the employees you already have and perhaps even doing some sort of survey to understand what diversity looks like with your current employees. Um, I always try to remind people that even if you have a room full of white men, there is probably a lot more diversity there that is unseen that you don't even know about. And so allowing people to self ID um, and then building sort of initiatives that map to those, um, I would definitely recommend that.
2: Yeah, I would definitely say the same thing as far as like creating opportunities for people to um, test out uh, different paths, um, different leadership roles, maybe a mentoring program or People can conversate with higher roles and maybe where they would like to move up or new projects. So I think um, creating opportunities where there's a lot more innovation of like redefining what those roles that they're currently in are. If you're not doing a lot of hiring and so how to make take people to the next step, because you don't want to leave people just you know at a baseline.
1: Do we have time for one more question? Or are we out of time? One more question? Okay. Um, do we have one more question out here
2: or no? Um, so, I guess uh, what I've been hearing, um, and I've been doing it from the Scrum Master perspective, is in the recent years there's been a bigger shift towards the servant leadership, right, than your traditional leadership. Um, so, I just want to know from your perspective what are the soft skills that you think are the most sought after um, in any line of work?
1: Can I ask a clarifying question? Um, so soft skills for any role, or for leadership role, or? Uh,
3: for leadership. For leadership. Leading teams, guiding
2: teams. Okay. Go for it. Anybody? Uh, I would say a soft skill is the ability to listen, um, and also not, as, like leaders that are, are humble and don't come in there hot, right? <laughs> like, that they have all the answers, because I feel like then you're just only providing your own ideas, and I think, with great leaders is that, you know, being an open person with like a really good communicator as far as communicating with diverse groups, understanding where people are coming from, empathy is another really good one, I think.
4: Yeah, I was gonna say um, courage and vulnerability, which I think are actually the same thing, Um, but having that courage to either talk about important issues admit you don't know what the answer is, but that you're willing to try to solve it from the top down. Um, you know, Changing the status quo, that is fundamentally what this work is about, and that is, at its core, really difficult. Um, so for me, the, the leaders that I see making the most progress on this front are the ones who are sort of willing to bear it all, um, even though it's really scary.
3: In our organization, um, our leaders are not the problem solvers when a problem rises to our leaders, we always validate it and then open it up for everybody to come together and solve that problem together. So coming in a space where you are vulnerable and not coming in hot where you are the person that always has all of the answers, but really willing to listen and then cultivate opportunities for people to come together and solve the problems together.
2: Yeah, I would say most leadership roles normally go to extroverts because they are always vocal, but introverts are very very observant right and so they can understand where everyone's coming from put things together and also be able to deliver in a, an amazing way as well
1: thank you um, thank you all for coming in and joining us um, thanks for being here I hope this was helpful if you have any questions outside of this feel free to pop over and, and chat with us um, we'll be here for a few more minutes or connect with us on social media or whatever LinkedIn all good places but we hope that you enjoy the rest of your time and I would call you all to think differently about how you're showing up in your spaces and are people being heard that maybe don't look like you? Are you giving space to other people or are you the first one to respond to everything? And those little changes can make a big difference in how you create an inclusive environment. So thank you so much. Thank you to the panelists. You all are amazing. Um, You did wonderful. Can we give them a big round of applause? Thank you for joining us for this episode. Special thanks to Mo Abdallah, Lauren Burgess, and Natalie Bonifay. Also thanks to Mile High Agile for having us for this panel experience and the attendees that joined us. Thank you to Dante32 for hosting our content and our episodes, and a special thanks for our music.
0: Justin Pla Ramos. This episode is edited by me, Christopher Guest, and Human Inclusive is produced by Leah James and me extra special content coming soon to earbuds near you check our website and instagram for updates we We are are human human inclusive. inclusive